Welcome to Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. And it's Halloween, so happy Halloween. Did you do anything this weekend, Bella? I didn't. I'm not the biggest costume person, but I am really excited for the first time I'm living somewhere where I think trick-or-treaters might come. So I'm going to go buy a bunch of candy and (laughs) hopefully they come. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck with like, you know, $2 bags of Reese's Cups, but (laughs) not the worst thing. (laughs) What about you? Um, I went to a couple parties. I did Uma Thurman and Pulp Fiction for one costume. Classic. And I did Daphne from Scooby-Doo for another. I'm using, I'm working the hair this year. So Love it. Love it. Anyway, we should probably get on to talking about real estate. Yes. Okay. So we're talking policy this week. And a lot of the time when we report on legislation, we're interested in the unintended consequences it can create. Right. How a policy that's meant to affect one group or one part of the market oversteps and suddenly does more than the government wanted it to or intended it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always think about it like the butterfly effect. You change one little law and then inadvertently you cause chaos. Yeah. And that's what's happening in California right now. We teased this a little bit last week, but basically Santa Monica is set to get 4,500 new apartment units, which is huge for the city. It hasn't seen that type of construction in years. And typically and obviously, cities need to approve developments like that. But because of this provision called builder's remedy, developers in Santa Monica were able to push through plans with no review process or sign off by the city. So you and Trevor Bach, another of our LA reporters, have been covering this very closely. The tension seems to be that this weird little hitch in the law could allow for a bunch of new units to come online. And that should be a good thing for California. The state has been dealing with a housing shortage for a long time, just like New York. But some of the cities that could get new units are not loving that from a NIMBY perspective. Is that right? Yeah, they're definitely not loving it. Wealthy coastal cities like Santa Monica have always been pretty strict on development rules and wanting to preserve the city's aura or feel or design, whatever you want to call it. The interesting thing is it's not just Santa Monica at this point, like you said, This could be a waterfall. Beverly Hills got its first builder's remedy project. There are other cities that are not in compliance with state law, but Trevor and I will get into that later. First, let's tackle the news. So let's go east to west this week. In New York, related companies filed plans for a 1.3 million square foot office project in Hudson Yards. It's going to be at least 25 stories tall, and it'll sit across the street from Tishman Spire's spiral, which will likely loom over it. That building is a whopping 65 stories. Yeah, that's set to come online too, as the office market in New York City is doing a little bit better. A third quarter report by Collier showed only 16% of Manhattan's office space is now available, which is the lowest level we've seen since March 2021. And that's thanks to a significant uptick in new leases in the quarter. Demand was up 26% from the second quarter and 28% from the same time last year. So definitely an improvement. Right. But as we've heard for months now, not all offices are getting that same attention. We're still seeing the flight to quality story play out in Manhattan. I heard chatter recently, actually, that the majority of new lease signings are happening in the top 20% of office space. Turning from high rises to ground floor retail, New York's marijuana laws are creating some stress for commercial landlords. That is true. So as we discussed a few episodes back, weed is legal in New York State. However, the licenses for the first dispensaries haven't gone through quite yet. So there's this weird gray area where sellers can operate without getting in trouble. But as a result, the smoke shops in the city, so you know, the spots where you can buy cigarettes or pipes or chips or whatever, 
are filling that void. Yeah, the problem that our colleagues dialed in on is that the building owners are worried about being implicated in those sales down the line. They think that something is going to happen. Plus, some just don't like the smell. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. So Joe Levenger and Kelly Laparo, who reported this piece, included that Mayor Eric Adams said that the number one thing he smells in the city right now is pot. And it was funny because I I hadn't noticed until my family came up a few weeks ago and they were in my apartment and we're like, why does it smell like weed in here? And I was like, it's not me. <laughs> and from the, like since it's just like emanating from the street, infiltrating. Okay, dipping down to Florida, the related group and 13th Floor Investments pulled out of a half a billion dollar condo buyout. The property in question was the Castle Beach Club in Miami Beach, which came to market just a few months after the Surfside tragedy. Related and 13th floor said they couldn't secure enough buyers to actually close the deal. So that's our biggest flop of the week. But looking at the biggest deals that went through, we saw a fair amount of activity in the life sciences sector, actually. And Isabella, you dug up that one trade in Austin, right? Yeah, Joe Lovinger was nice enough to give me a research credit on that one. Um, Alexandria Real Estate, which is a large rate based in California, bought an office site in downtown Austin for $108 million dollars. It's unclear what exactly they're going to do with the site, but it does have capacity for more than 300,000 square feet of new development. Alexandria typically focuses on medical office and life sciences, so we'll see if they go that route with this property. We also saw IQHQ nab $600 million in construction financing from KKR and affiliates, and that was for an office and life science campus in the Bay Area. The project is called Elko Yards, and it's expected to redevelop six blocks of Redwood City's downtown. And I don't think we can close out the week without quickly touching on some of these shifting national trends. Yes. So mortgage rates topped 7% this week. That's a 21-year high, and it's coming as the Fed is expected to bump rates again this week by another 75 basis points. Meanwhile, apartment demand has reached a 13-year low. That's according to RealPage, and that's because rents are so incredibly high. I also saw that Boston took over San Francisco as the second most expensive rental market in the U.S. Yeah. So New York bumped San Francisco last year, I remember, like summer 2021. And now Boston is surpassing San Fran. It's interesting because rents in New York and San Francisco are both ticking down a little bit. But Boston's inventory is just still so tight that they're still going up. Nationally, though, we are beginning to see rents decline month over month, at least. And they could fall further as more apartments come online. There's a ton of new inventory expected to hit the market, the most in 50 years, actually. And New York is expected to pull the majority of those new units. So theoretically, more supply amid low demand means we should start to see rents fall more, right? Yeah, we should, but things are iffy for a number of reasons. Just looking at New York specifically, it hasn't seen any multifamily projects really that aren't heavily subsidized move forward since 421A expired. And that is a tax abatement that really stoked development in the city. So we could have this big lag in new projects finishing that would pressure inventory, which is still low, um, and then prices could pop back up. But enough, you know, conjecturing about New York's rental future. (laughs) Let's turn to what's happening right now with development pipelines in California. This podcast is sponsored by Dotted, the asset optimization platform that aligns your teams and makes your real-time data work for you. Automate reports, export stacking plans, run simplified leasing calls, and go beyond the lease with capital projects and dynamic projections all in one place. Get a demo today at Dotted.com. 
So today, my colleague in L.A., Trevor Bach, is here with us to talk about this builder's remedy debacle that's happening and how we got to this point. Trevor, this really centers on what we call a housing element in California. Can you describe what exactly that is? Under California state law, you know, every city has to have a housing element as part of, you know, city planning, as part of the city charter, basically the laws Uh, local laws governing a city. And what that does is it allocates, you know, or or sort of lays out how much housing a city has to have. And that gets updated. Basically, they're required to update that every eight years. And then once the city passes its version, uh, then the state, a state agency called Housing and Community Development, basically, you know, will approve it or not uh, approve it. Okay, so let's take the example of Santa Monica, right? The first place we saw this play out. The city came up with their housing element. They submitted it to the state for review last year, but the state rejected it. Can you talk about what went wrong there? So Santa Monica, you know, obviously is a very wealthy city, coastal city, and has traditionally, you know, not been very favorable to developers or to high-density development. And there's also, there's a lot of vested, uh, you know, interests against development in Santa Monica. Uh, But basically, last October, the city of Santa Monica had a deadline to have its housing element approved uh, by the state. But Santa Monica did not meet that deadline. Essentially, Santa Monica was, you know, for several months, was out of compliance with the state's uh, requirements. Good evening, Mayor and Council. We're very pleased to be here tonight um, in what we hope is the final step. Uh, of a years-long journey um, to get here, uh, to get to a compliant housing element. And so for the city to get into compliance, um, the council, the action that needs to happen is the council should adopt it, and then we need to submit it to HCD um, for their written certification. And being out of compliance revealed a pretty big penalty for the city. This is Jing Yo, a Santa Monica city planner you heard earlier, talk about this at a city council meeting earlier this month. So what happens, you know, if we do not adopt tonight? Um, what does it mean to be out of compliance? So some of those immediate short-term consequences we are already seeing um, is that the city uh, is obligated to approve what are colloquially called uh, builder's remedy projects. And this is a special allowance that is only in effect when a city is out of compliance on its housing element. The way this was revealed, right, was, was that you know, just in the past couple of weeks, as part of Santa Monica's process to get its updated housing element approved, it came out that while it was still out of compliance, uh, a development team had filed more than a dozen projects, you know, equating to about 5,000 units in Santa Monica under this builder's remedy provision that nobody had really heard of. Under state law, if a city is in this period of noncompliance, a developer can submit a builder's remedy project. That builder's remedy project has to be automatically approved by the city council and the planning commissions as long as 20 percent of the units that are being proposed are affordable. In other words, the city really has no power to deny the project. But Trevor, this law has been around for a long time. It's not necessarily new. It's a provision, really, in a, in a law that was passed in California in 1990, the Housing Accountability Act. And so this builder's remedy 
you know, provision of that law had been there, you know, for two decades, you know, more, obviously, and but it hadn't been used because of certain questions around it. And most people had, didn't, didn't know it existed, you know, even people in governments. Right. Santa Monica's city council members were certainly trying to wrap their head around the law when a chunk of builders' remedy projects were filed. And this is a state mandate or hammer. That is correct. A state hammer. That is correct, yeah. This, this is a stick. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, if we adopt the housing element this evening, that will not negate those 12 applications that have already been submitted. So every day we go by, we run the risk of additional builder's remedy projects. 15-story project. Yes. That, I mean, those are already in, and HCD has said they're going forward. In other words, before HCD actually stamps this and sends it back to us on Friday, anybody else could rush in tomorrow morning and Thursday morning. I know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm, I, yes, I know, I just, I just opened the damn door. But, but, I'm, but I want residents to know how our hands are tied. You recently spoke with Dave Rand, a land use attorney who worked to push some of these projects in Santa Monica through on behalf of WSC Communities, the firm looking to build them. How did he come across this and why did he decide to test out this provision since it's literally never been used in California before? Developers never considered it a viable option. What's happened lately, you know, in in California more broadly in the past few years, there have been other laws that have been passed, make sort of the field more advantageous, you know, to possibly use it. You know, this lawyer and and his team decided that, okay, you know, they were looking at Santa Monica, they they were wanting to do these projects anyway, but they knew, you know, Santa Monica was out of compliance and they had been, you know, strategizing how can they, uh, you know, uh, what's the best thing to do with these projects. Basically, then once Dave Rand got a letter from from the agency, the state agency, sort of answering some of his biggest questions about it, it, it gave him enough confidence, you know, to use this uh, for the Santa Monica projects and really kind of, it has become basically a, a major test case for Builder's Remedy in California. Right. So Santa Monica isn't the only city that has seen Builder's Remedy projects come through. We're seeing them pop up in other cities because they've also missed that deadline to get their housing plans approved by the state. I reported last week that Beverly Hills got its first, for example. A city spokesperson told me that the state has yet to approve its final housing element, meaning it's technically not in compliance with state law. Leo Pastilnikov, at least, is a developer testing it out, right? He filed plans to build a 200-unit, 16-story complex on the corner of Linden and Wilshire. Can you talk about where else this, you know, might be happening or where we could see builders remedy projects start to come up right so another city named west hollywood pasadena is another one redondo beach has another uh sort of its own very high profile project that's going to be you know there's there's a there's a battle over that one underway basically that these are grouped by region so it's been concentrated in southern california where those southern california cities have been out of compliance recently you know allowing these kind of uh proposals the the story is going to move early next year to the bay area uh where cities there could be out of compliance because their deadline will be coming up early next year um and especially you know 
San Francisco is probably the, the biggest looming question. They will most likely be out of compliance. San Francisco could be in for a rush of, of projects. Yeah, I think the hardest thing to wrap my head around when we were reporting on Builder's Remedy for the first time a couple of weeks ago was the idea that these projects are automatically approved. I guess my question is, is that really true? Can these cities challenge this at all? You know, is Dave Rand expecting all these legal challenges around Builder's Remedy? He definitely does anticipate legal challenges. You know, it's not like these are already built, right? It, it's it's still very early in the game, and there will be uh, there there will be a lot of uh, legal fighting and, and so forth. But at the same time, no lawyer is going to push something through if they don't think they're going to win. The question the question was whether you know if if you file something under builder's remedy while the city is out of compliance, you know, but then later months later the city comes back and gets into compliance, can the city just say, oh, you know, sort of can the city postpone it and say, oh, we're in compliance now? you know, so we don't have to abide by this. And the answer from the state was no. What what matters is whether the city is in compliance at the time actually developer files a preliminary application. You know, once he once he had that clarification from the state, that's what prompted them to go ahead and file these applications in Santa Monica. You know, once he once he had that clarification from the state that's what prompted them to go ahead and file these applications in Santa Monica. Yeah, I did see that Santa Monica was looking to hire outside legal counsel to advise the city on what to do with these builders' remedy projects. So, you know, this fight is definitely far from over, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It's, it's a great indication of how Santa Monica feels about it. So it's going to be interesting. It's like, you know, the whole point of the law is that if, if a city is out of compliance on their housing element they're penalized by losing control. You know, it's, it's supposed to incentivize them to get into compliance, right? Because if, if you're out of compliance, oh, guess what? You're going to lose control over these, you know, you're going to lose the authority to approve these projects that, that you may not want. But that had never really been tested. What's happened, you know, that's so fascinating in just in the last few weeks is that this kind of uh, theoretical measure has become very real. An even bigger consequence, though, is that some of these fights will play out. But at the same time, you know, Northern California, Bay Area cities are definitely going to be looking at what's happening in, in Southern California. Um, and even the fact that, you know, the builder's remedy has kind of spilled out into the into the open is likely going to impact you know, those cities that are, that are out of compliance because they, they're not going to want to have to deal with this. This came about, you know, it's been on the books, but in recent years, you know, things have shifted. Like, one, the housing crisis has gotten so bad um, that there's more incentive to, to actually use it. It's more of an extreme tool, but it, there's also, California also has an extreme crisis. New episodes of Deconstruct air every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe now. Next week, we're talking about office to residential conversions and whether they're actually feasible. Tune in then.